why would you hire a development company out of Lincoln, Nebraska, when you could go hire you know the company that helped build some software out in the in Silicon Valley? Well, why why wouldn't you? We can't get angry about someone not hiring us because we are part of the story that's being told in our region. Rural Futures, the podcast where we connect thought leaders and doers at the intersection of technology and what it means to be human. Every episode, we talk with entrepreneurs, researchers, and achievers to create impact for generations to come. And now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to the Rural Futures podcast. Joining me today is Ali Schwanke. She's the founder and CEO of SimpleStrat, the marketing agency for companies that are serious about growth. She's a sought-after speaker, consultant, and content creator, a pipeline entrepreneurial fellow, and a member of the National Practitioners Council for the American Marketing Association. She's also a wife to Bryce, who's a fifth grade teacher and a mom to two boys. So you're doing it all. You're doing the whole, you know, work-life balance and all of that good stuff. But I'd love to dive into a little bit more about you, Allie. So tell, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, I'll definitely correct the not doing it all well. <laughs> Before we started, say that. Yeah, before we started recording, we were just talking about how I burned a pan with Pam spray in it because I forgot that it was actually on the stove. So uh, most days I try a little bit harder than that, but uh, but it's true. I you know being a, a mom and and being a wife and uh, those things are important. But I have I have a similar passion for running a business, and um, you know my first uh, ever business per se was probably when I was like six or seven. Um, I was selling these like greeting cards door to door. So it would have been like in the probably early. 90s. And back then, everyone, you know, had stationery and greeting cards. And I wanted to earn this tent. And so I went around selling these cards door to door. And I decided this was so easy that I'd make my own catalog. And so I drew myself a catalog with clothes that I knew I could purchase from the local like Shopco. Um, and nobody bought anything. But <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> though. What a great story. So do you feel like you've always kind of had this entrepreneurial bent to you? I do. Um, but I didn't start my business, uh, you know, right out of college. And I did work for other people, which I think gave me some of the here's what I wouldn't want to do sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I often wonder if I would have started earlier what the world would look like. But um, I'm really thankful for the people that went before me and kind of showed me a little bit of the ins and outs before I actually had to kind of take the hard knocks myself. So it wasn't something that you did right out of college, but what made you ultimately decide to become an entrepreneur and build a business? Yeah, I did. I actually did have a um, photography business right out of college, um, and so I, I did that as a as a solopreneur at that point. Didn't have any employees, um, and I kind of got sick of the schedule with that, um, and decided to morph into marketing. But um, every time I worked for somebody, I had this um, sense that like it was mine. And um, a couple companies, I got to the point that I was I mean I was ready to buy in as a partner or an owner. And one time I actually sat down with one of the companies I was working with to talk about becoming a minority partner. And um, this is one of those times that um, you, you don't ever really talk about the ugly that goes on in business. And um, I remember this person, um, you know, just yelling at me and calling me just, um, you know, an unthankful person because the the number that I had proposed to them was not what they thought the business was worth. Um, and they were kind of following sweat equity, which doesn't really have a numerical value at sometimes. Um, and at that point, I'm like, you know what, if, if I'm going to build something, that's going to be for me. Right. And so how long have you been building SimpleStrat? When did you found it? And really tell us a little bit more about what SimpleStrat does. So SimpleStrat is about two and a half 
as the recording of this, um, at the end of this year, it'll be nearing three years old. Um, but prior to that, I had a couple of years where I was a solo consultant um, and really went in as like a CMO for hire. But in, in that experience, discovered that a lot of businesses, they really struggle with marketing. Although I think I have a very well-rounded marketing skill set because of all the things I've done. Um, I'm an okay designer. I'm an okay content creator. But like, when you have a team around you, you can do it so much better. Um, so SimpleStrat was birthed out of that realization that I can build this, this scalable entity with teams and people. And then that allows me to go out and really kind of push these big changes in the industry as opposed to doing all the you know, kind of groundwork. Um, so we focus on companies that are looking to grow through marketing. And that means you have to be forward thinking and putting the consumer first and thinking through all those different types of things that are going to draw someone into your story and then get them to act instead of just interrupting them and hoping that they pay attention. Well, I love how your journey has progressed, and it sounds like you've had a lot of experience that sort of led to this moment, but you've really embraced all of those experiences as well and learned from that. All right, Allie, so one of the reasons we brought you on the podcast is because you are a maverick, and in our world, you're a rural maverick, right? So tell us a little bit more about why Simple Strat is located here and what advantages and maybe disadvantages that really entails. Yeah, so Simple Strat's headquarters, I guess I could say, if I use the HQ. Um, I mean, we're in Lincoln. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why Lincoln's such a great community to, to build a business in is there's this really interesting ecosystem of startups. And that's not just um, quote unquote tech startups, but um, it's really anybody who's who's trying to be innovative with their business and, and make things happen. Um so there's the the tie that you have to people and other people that are doing things like you um, is incredible. Um, we have, you know, a strong presence of, of uh, Internet connections here in the city. We have a strong presence of, you know, legal support and financial support and that kind of stuff. Um, but the challenges that it presents in the Midwest is probably related to talent. You know, typically when you're looking for people with certain skills and you'll, you have a certain size of the population, you know, how many of the population out there are certified inbound marketers with experience in B2B marketing that have automation and lead generation on their resume. Ooh, not very many. So that's probably the biggest challenge that I've seen so far in building a business here. And then there is, um, I don't know how we're going to get over this. We're working on it, but there still is a perception when uh, I went to a conference uh, in Boston uh, and I remember someone, I told them I was from Nebraska and they Kind of like in the South, they're like, oh, bless your heart, you know, (laughs) like that's what it felt like. They looked at me and they were like, good for you. And I was like, like, good for me. Like what? Like we don't get out of our like cattle call, you know, what? I don't understand what that was supposed to mean. So we had this conversation about what their perception of the Midwest was and, and they, yeah, they'd never been here. So I think building a business here, if I can help us bring people to the region and then they leave and go, holy cow, like there is amazing stuff happening in Nebraska then we can be part of that change. But until then, you know, we're just going to continue to to build this ecosystem because everyone here recognizes that it's super powerful. Welcome to Bold Voices, our segment with rock star students from the University of Nebraska who are making a difference in rural. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Katie Begneski, and I'm the production specialist of the Rural Futures podcast. With me today is Amber Ross, a junior agribusiness major from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Welcome, Amber. Hi, Katie. Okay, Amber, so give us your elevator pitch. Who is Amber Ross? So Amber Ross is just your typical small-town girl. I grew up in Callaway, Nebraska, graduated from Callaway High School. Callaway's got 500, a little more than 500 people in it, and honestly, Callaway taught me most of what I know now. 
So I carry what Callaway taught me as I go through life all the time, and I refer back to it pretty frequently. Yeah, so talk a little bit about that. Why do you care about rural so much? I am your typical farmer's daughter. I learned all about hard work, about teamwork, about dedication, about perseverance, all that kind of stuff on the farm. But then I also learned a lot growing up in a small town. I mean, it was our high school was K-12. Everybody was in one building. And that puts a lot of pressure on high schoolers to, you know, do everything. I did speech. I did one acts. I did volleyball, basketball. I rodeoed. I did it all. And <laughs> there's not a lot of free time there. And so um, I came to college and I wasn't used to having free time. I was so bored. I actually went out and got a job so that I didn't just sit in my dorm room. You do. You just learn how to time manage. You learn about hard work. And that kind of stuff is invaluable to a college student like me. So how would you answer the question of why rural? Why now? So we've seen through the patterns of history that as we go through, people either want to live in the city for a time and then they revert back and they want to live in a smaller community, in a rural community. And I think right now we're really heavy into that. Everybody wants to live in the city where it's convenient and everything's right there where you need it. But I think we're going to start seeing that go back to small town feel in just 10 years or so. I think we're really going to see that change again. And rural communities are going to become the trendy place to live. It's going to be cool to be in rural. I mean, I was there before it was cool, so I kind of already am on the trend. But um, <laughs> Because rural is cool. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so with that mindset, how has the Rural Futures Institute impacted your college career and then your future plans for beyond college? So the Rural Futures Institute just has offered me a lot of different opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. I mean, I've gone to West Point and Columbus for service ship experiences. Just those kind of opportunities I wouldn't have gotten if I didn't, you know, work with RFI and work here in the office. And so meeting those kinds of people who are real movers and shakers and doing some really cool things regarding rural has just changed my outlook on a lot of things. And so in the future, um, my goal is to be a community developer of some of some sort, whether that be through the chamber work or through economic development. And so I wouldn't trade my experiences with RFI for anything. Well, thank you, Amber. I think that was really valuable. And thank you for being our student spotlight of the week and giving hope to our generation of future leaders who want to make a better world for all. Thank you, Katie. So one of the areas we like to focus on at the Rural Futures podcast is leadership. And obviously, you've had a lot of experiences that you've learned from and used to develop as a leader. Tell us a little bit about your leadership philosophy and how you're using that to grow Simple Strat, but also your presence in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Sure. So a lot of people that have gone before me have given me a good glimpse of what is what is good leadership. Uh, and then there's definitely those that, um, like when I was working for people, I always kept a Evernote file called Things I Will Never Do When I Have a Company. Um, and it was, awesome. filled, it was filled with things like, um, it's funny because now there's things on that list that I know I didn't understand the context at the time. And I'm like, oh, I'd never do that. And then when I get in leadership role, I'm like, Oh, like that's why they did that, you know. Um, and so I think being a, a transparent leader and letting people know you have faults, but balancing that with the confidence and, and reassurance that you know here's where the company's going. Um, you know, to be honest, every day is not great. 
And every day, like, I'd love to say that, like, we had this amazing team meeting and we all high-fived and, like, everyone's clear on the vision and it's amazing. Um, And you could still ask one of my team members, like, what's this thing over here? And I'd be like, (laughs) we just talked about that, you know? But talking to someone and talking with someone and having them understand are two completely different things. So um, so I think I think it's always a learning process. No, I agree. I think it is a learning process. And I, I love how you talked about the context, too, too, because I think sometimes as an employee, you don't work to understand maybe what the other person's going through or what their needs are. So how can I help support that while also growing as a person and growing the organization, serving customers, et cetera? The whole idea of gender and leadership is is such a big conversation right now, um, and, and as well as gender and entrepreneurship. You know, how would you envision this evolving in the future? Being a female who's a strong leader, also an entrepreneur, how do you see the future of leadership for women? Yeah, I think that's an interesting conversation. It's one that, you know, actually myself personally hadn't had too much up to this point. Um, and I'm not uh, the first person to, to stand out in the middle of the street and say, go woman entrepreneurs. Not because I don't think that it's important. It's just um, like I was asked by a reporter, you know, what is it like being a woman entrepreneur? And it's just kind of like what is it like to breathe? You know, it's just it's just this thing that I do. Um, but, you know, if you take certain situations and break them down, there definitely are there are times that you start to think, oh, maybe there are some there are some disadvantages that exist. Um, you know, I have a, a couple of people in my business that are that are men and it's not been uncommon for people to assume that I'm working with them or for them. Um, and I don't think that that's I don't think anything negatively about that person for thinking that, but it's just a natural thing that happens. I've done some social experiments myself where, like, does it matter if I wear glasses? Does it matter if my hair is up? Does it matter if my hair is down? You know, do I wear a startup tee with a blazer? Do I wear a dress? Like, all of those things, like, affect your first impression and what people think of you. And I always wanted someone to think, like, she is damn, like, smart versus, you know, wow, like, I wonder if she knows anything because I'm, you know, because of the way I'm dressed. So, like, that's something that I've I've thought through, but there's definitely a need to have more conversations about it. Um, and it's getting women after work away from their families to talk about it. That's probably <laughs> right. the bigger challenge is we have oh. so many other things to worry about that having the conversation requires strategic effort. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just this time thing is such a big one. And, you know, we have women leaving the workforce in droves right now mm-hmm. to start their own businesses. Right. Because they are thinking, how do I have a more flexible schedule that I can control somewhat? How do I, you know, continue to be involved with my family? All these different things. And also the organizational cultures that just don't support, you know, what the modern lifestyle is. And I think that's true for women, but also for men. Like we see more men wanting to be parents and and full on as well. Or just couples in general trying to figure out how to balance all this or single parents, all of that. What advice would you give to women who are in the workplace right now who are maybe thinking about starting their own business? Yeah, I have a book on my shelf that's called uh, Secrets of Six-Figure Women. And I thought it was interesting because um, I didn't know this until I started reading it, that women typically don't make more than $100,000 in their business. And I don't know what the number was. Like, don't quote me on it. But it was something like, you know, more than 80% of women don't ever break that $100,000 mark. Just like any statistic, you can look inside and say, well, let's figure out, like, why this is. And it might be because the number of businesses counted, like, it included part-time businesses or Etsy businesses or whatever. But at the same respect, like, why aren't women earning more? And if you go to any women's entrepreneur event, you'll notice a very interesting thing. You'll notice that there's a lot of women who have a business that's a solo business. It's them 
and 1099s or then in like a VA or something like that. Because the idea of building something bigger where you have to like, I'm responsible for six people's salaries. Every month when I write the check or push the button or whatever for, for payroll, I'm responsible for other people's livelihoods. And that's a big risk. Being responsible for just my livelihood isn't as big of a risk. And I think that's one of the challenges. And I, I'm, I want to help other people figure that out. Um, but it, it is one of the things that I struggle to find other women that have businesses that are employing people. I think that's a fascinating sort of aspect of entrepreneurship because I think sometimes, you know, we see this growth in what we call the gig economy, the 1099 employees. They just want to do gigs maybe to support their their family a little bit. Um, but you talk a lot about this whole issue of, you know, the side hustle is easy. What's hard is the growth. What's hard is saying, you know what, I'm going to put my stake in the ground and I'm going to build a team and I'm going to go after this bigger business model, a bigger business concept. What would you tell people like that were wanting to say, you know what, maybe I need to go bigger? Yeah, I think one of the things that's difficult from a side hustle perspective is a lot of side hustles start as just that. They're just a side hustle. They're a way to make some extra money. Um, they might be like kind of this random idea, but it's not like they've thought, when I hit revenue X, I'm going to do Y. When I hit revenue this, I'm going to do this. When you're building a business, you have some of those benchmarks and milestones already laid out because you kind of, even if you didn't put together a plan, you've still got somewhat of a, in five years, we're going to be this. Okay, to get there, I'm going to do this. When you're side hustling, you're still just kind of in the motion every day and you're not thinking strategically. So when it becomes overwhelming, uh, the podcast that we were interviewing local entrepreneurs, one of the gals there said, I either had to grow or I had to get scale back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people often have the fear of the unknown, even if it's better, they want to stick with the known. And even in marketing, I've noticed a lot of people now, it's so easy to start something. Seth Godin says, it's easier than ever to start. It's harder than ever to finish. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, it's interesting to hear some people that have sort of lived this whole experience as more of a lifestyle. Like you said, it's like how you breathe almost. You know, it's not necessarily just something that you, I don't know, do part time or just kind of dabble in. It's just how you you're wired and how you you've decided to live and make your living. But I I too would like to dive a little bit into your podcast because I think the other thing is. You have this message not only with your business, but you as, you know, a person, as an entrepreneur who has scaled and is employing other people. And, you know, we, we have so few female entrepreneurs in the U.S. and even, you know, internationally doing this type of work and scaling like that. I'd love to know a little bit more about your Bar Napkin Business Podcast and why you started that and, and what the message is behind the podcast. Yeah, the podcast was a um, it's a local podcast to the Midwest at this point, um, and we've interviewed nearly 50 entrepreneurs and small business owners, um, really about the, we called it the down and dirty details of running and growing a business. Because um, I think we were a little bit um, over the fact that there's all these, you know, startup XYZ got venture capital funding and they don't even have a product yet. There's a lot of really great things happening that require a lot of investment. But there's a lot of really just people that are grinding it out to make things work they provide a pretty good business. So it might be like one gal was building a candle business and she was at the point that she was outsourcing production and, you know, how does that all work? And another guy developed a, a patent for something that he had, he and his buddies had just kind of ran with and now it's a business and they're selling online and shipping everywhere. And um, it's, it's more like the Shark Tank sort of feel, but it's happening right here in the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes when people think of rural, they think of, 
you know, the entire Midwest. And mm-hmm. so this is something we've talked a lot about with, with our audiences. You know, I get asked a lot, how do you define rural? And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it really kind of depends on the context, right? And so if you're on the East Coast or West Coast, you define the whole Midwest as rural, right. where a lot of times people in Omaha wouldn't define themselves as rural or Lincoln wouldn't define themselves as rural if you're thinking about just Nebraska. I think, though, the hyper-localization of what people want to hear and know is such a key part of while we see everything grow exponentially and get bigger, at the same time, people need to know how it applies in their own life. And so it's awesome to hear about Steve Jobs and the next big company, you know, some gazelle. But I think what is missing sometimes is the conversation you're having in that podcast. You know, you don't have to get a multi-million dollar investment deal to do well in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that we found was that people wanted to hear, like we talked about the story of Zipline Brewery and how that started. And when you hear someone else that is kind of like you or not necessarily looks like you or acts like you, but they could be your neighbor down the street. If they did it, I could probably do this. So it it was designed to to show some of the, I mean, there's also a lot of hard stuff that goes into building a business. And we didn't want to sugarcoat the fact that here you have to pay attention to the numbers. Um, We started to see trends that came out of conversations. You know, Matt and I and my co-host would just look at each other and kind of be like, yep, here we go again. Because they'd talk about people or they'd talk about financing or they'd talk about like needing lawyers. And, you know, like I appreciate good lawyers. Like it's, it's just essential. And you can't, you know, look over that. Well, I think even if you're doing, you know, just your own thing, getting started, you have to have that team in place. I mean, you need to have an attorney, an accountant, people that can help you through the, you know, the fine print of owning a business and the legal issues and the accounting issues that you're going to have if you're going to take an income for a product or service and try to get that out. Yeah. I mean, the day that I realized that I didn't have to know the answer to every accounting question, I mean, I was like ecstatic. Uh, You know, Chad, if you're listening, like you've been my lifesaver. It's been amazing. And, you know, we went through some uh, legal paperwork on our operating agreement lately. And, you know, Bart Dillashaw helped us out with that. And he just he's he understands the Midwest uh, entrepreneur culture. He has experience in the Valley. Like it's just that sort of resource available here in our rural Midwest, I guess, for people that are on the coast um, is amazing. One of the things we've talked about in our rural communities is the need for more entrepreneurship. You know, we need, you know, we're not going to pull in a lot of big companies. There are fewer and fewer big companies that even exist. You know, how would you envision more of what's happening here? And I would say our, our Lincoln startup community, Omaha is a great startup community. How could you see rural and urban connecting through entrepreneurship? And, and helping maybe support more entrepreneurship in our rural areas. Yeah, I think one of the challenges that we have with rural and even in the Midwest, like entrepreneurs still learn from each other. And, you know, someone asked me if I had to give advice to someone um, about entrepreneurship, what would it be? Um, and my advice is find a powerful community that can push you and challenge you and is going to know the things that you don't know. I think that the fact that we have access to all information also makes it very hard to know what information we should pay attention to. Um, and when I'm living in a rural community of maybe 300 people, it seems like my world's like very small and there's no resources available. But in fact, you are connected by the internet and it just requires a little bit more strategic navigating to find the people that you would call your people. And then don't disregard the, the fact that being together in person um, is is super valuable. So if, if there's an entrepreneurship summit in the middle of your state, go. You know, use it as a chance to go and meet people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what we've found, I used to work with an entrepreneurship club down in southeast Nebraska, and it was always amazing to me, great groups of people getting together. And everybody knows that 
you know, you have a business, I have a business, but they didn't know a lot about one another's businesses or how you could like, what are those partnerships? How can we leverage, you know, what each other's bringing to the table so that we're winning together rather than thinking we're competing or there's no partnership potential here? Yeah, people in the Midwest, what's interesting, we work with clients from all over. And um, I spent a lot of time in other cities doing uh, either speaking or, you know, just we're a HubSpot agency. So we work with a lot with software. Um, But people in different communities tend to have a different view on what competition can and can't do. I love competition because it pushes us to be better. But it also means that most companies can find out pretty much everything that you do because you put it on your website, you know, um, or they can ask around. So they're so shy about sharing what they're doing, and they, which means they don't connect with other entrepreneurs or they don't seek out communities because they're just afraid of, of connecting to the point that it's going to be a detriment. Um, and I think that we're now at a point in our world that, you know, you should be connecting because if you don't, your, your next opportunity is going to come from a human being versus from, you know, some sort of like a web search. Yeah, I think that's a critical point. Business is grown by human beings, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and those relationships are still incredibly important. You know, I know you've also talked about this challenge we have sometimes around not hiring the people we know or the people around us, you know, the local businesses not always getting hired. Tell our audience a little bit more about that experience and, you know, how you think just employing one another, you know, doing more business to business you know, work and investment with one another could help spur on our own economy. Yeah, this is like a catch-22 because I think, I don't know who, someone smart said it once upon a time, I don't know who it was, but, you know, you're always an expert 60 miles outside of your market. Um, And what they basically mean is, you know, you have a chance to establish a reputation for, you know, one or two specific things that you're known for. And outside the market, because you're an unknown, it's somewhat shiny and new and and you can. Like that is actually a lot easier than doing it in your local market. Um, the interesting thing is um, a lot of a lot of times the people that are looking for the services that are local they don't know that they exist here. They or they assume they don't exist here. So, you know, why would you go, why would you hire a development company out of Lincoln, Nebraska, when you could go hire, you know, the company that helped build some software out in the in Silicon Valley? Um, well, why why wouldn't you? And you start to break down some of the, you start to understand the myths and preconceived notions that exist in the Midwest. Um, and it's up to us to change those. So, you know, we can't get angry about someone not hiring us because we are part of the story that's being told in our region. Yeah, I love that. And I love, though, how you've so strongly come in as a leader, an entrepreneur, and really has, in a short time, you've experienced so much success and growth. But I'd love to know, too, about your experience as a pipeline fellow, because in some of what you're doing to just not only grow your agency, but also really just grow the capacity, I think, in general around entrepreneurship and innovation. Pipeline uh, is actually accepting applications for next year through October 22nd. Um, But the um, organization itself is um, designed to help high-growth entrepreneurs. And um, there's a whole application process that accompanies it. um, And they're they're there for the entrepreneur. Yes, the business is too, but they recognize that entrepreneurs typically have multiple things they're involved in in their lifetime. Um, And it's backed by the Kauffman Foundation. So um, they want people who have amazing entrepreneurial talent to stay in the Midwest and build businesses here and, and build capital here. I'm involved now this year. We start module three actually tomorrow um, here in Lincoln and Omaha. And um, it's designed to help us go through all the different things that you would go through. It kind of feels like my MBA. I never got my MBA. It, it very much feels like that. Um, but we're building a software product 
product that has a much higher scalable uh, model to it than an agency. So we're actually using a lot of the learning to apply it to that specific product right now. Um, and it's just, it's a wealth of people. And it's, I mean, pardon my French, but it's a good <laughs> kicking. Like it really is. Like <laughs> it, I, I'm prepared tomorrow to get everything that I turned in for homework absolutely ripped apart because I need to get better. You know, and I need those people to challenge me in places that I think I'm already set. Well, talk about a strong network, though. Just like you said earlier, those relationships are so important. And what a great way to say, you know what, I don't know it all. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've already said this and building a team. So you're building a team at the agency and outside of the agency to help you continue to grow and help the firm continue to grow. And I think that's just brilliant. I'm a huge fan of Pipeline and everything they're doing and just appreciate that. But I also know that, you know, this is a prestigious program. You do have to apply, get accepted. And so it'll be exciting to see where you go from here and where the agency goes from here. You know, I also want to go back to something you said. You don't have your MBA. I think uh-huh. I think sometimes what stops people is they they especially women they don't feel like oh I, I need the certificate or training I, I need more and more and more before I apply you know for maybe that higher position or I launch my venture or grow the venture and I think you know that can that can really be tricky for a lot of people um, but I know the research says more women you know they want to be perfect at something before they execute mm-hmm. whereas men sometimes will just execute and learn it and not be afraid to learn it along the way. So I'd love to know, you know, how you think not having that degree has been a benefit to you? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely drawbacks to not having an MBA specifically in business because there are there's some things that, you know, I struggle with some stuff, you know, um, there's a lot of emphasis on finance in your MBA. And that's all that's wonderful. I've gotten a lot of that through Pipeline, um, as well as just sitting down with mentors and getting like a former CFO who's been a CFO for a long time, sitting down and actually talking through things and asking me, you know, why do you do this? What's going on here? Um, so really getting some of that feedback has been helpful. So I think that when you look at business, there really isn't a, I mean, there's definitely models and there's things you have to know, but so much of the theory is tested when you actually put it into practice. So like the best businesses have come out of people that were going to Harvard Business School or going to Stanford and they got an idea and they were able to act on it. You know, it wasn't the other way around where they were like, I better get this degree and then I will get something and then I can, you know, move in this like super linear fashion. It's very abstract. And uh, there's no, like, checks that you can, like, check off the boxes to be able to get to where you need to go. Well, I think that's that's such an important point because I know, you know, here at the university we have a lot of students and they're always wondering, well, how did you get to where you are? You know, and it's so funny as you talk to more and more people, it isn't a linear path. It's generally pretty windy. You just have to learn to what you want, how to get it. Um, but also to roll with it a little bit when things get challenging or things don't go the way you had expected them to go. And that resiliency is, is such a huge part of it all. But it's also like growing this whole life. I'm really fascinated by, you know, how you're running a, a, a business, a successful firm, having a family, but also really connecting and still learning and growing as a person, a professional, as an entrepreneur. So tell us some of your secrets to, I don't even <laughs> want to call work-life balance anymore. I know now the words like work-life integration, but how how are you, you know, really just maintaining and growing um, your success? Yeah, I think some of it comes from modeling, um, you know, a lot of times you don't have a person you can look to as to what things should look like. So if you grew up in a home uh, where your mom stayed home, you don't know what it's looked like, what it looks like for your mom to work. Um, if you grew up in a home where your mom owned a business, that's going to be much different. So 
myself, my dad's always been in IT. And I remember when I was a, a little girl, I'd go into their bedroom to say goodnight. And I'd look over on my dad's nightstand. And I remember the book to the day. I'm sure he had tons of books there on any given day. But like on this day, the book there that said Intro to Visual Basic. And if you know what Visual Basic is, it's a programming language. And my dad was in IT and he had to constantly be learning new languages in order to continue to provide value in his job. And I just like I would look over at him and he's reading this Visual Basic book at night before he went to bed. And that was just like that's what he did. And so now my kids know that like I'm always if they walk in, they're like, oh, mom, are you taking a class right now? Oh, mom, are you on a webinar right now? <laughs> you know, if I have my headphones in and I'm on the computer, it might be Spotify. But my kids think I'm always taking classes, you know, um, and I think I think normal for us is just that we're always going to be learning we're always growing and my kids always know that I'm going to expect them to earn or build a business out of something it doesn't have to be like a huge thing but you know Kate you want to go buy some new shoes let's talk about mowing lawns and how that can you know lead to some revenue he made his own babysitting flyer and I made him use Microsoft Word and made him write it. So it's funny because he writes, I will watch your kids while you go holiday shopping. And I was like, interesting. He's like, I Googled that. <laughs> like, great. I love writing on your own flyer. <laughs> awesome. You know, um, but it's it's just going to become the new normal for us. And I have to admit that, um, you know, some days if you come to my house, there's going to be like eight baskets of laundry that people are just living out of because I don't have time to put them away. I'm not going to be that Martha Stewart. I'm going to be, you know, the Sarah Blakely from Spanx. That's my thing, you know, so. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I think it's right. But I think these are other conversations that have to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you this whole idea of doing it all is like totally exhausting. And I think even if it looks like you're doing it all, Something's not not happening. It, that's quite right. I think you know, you're trying to keep your your marriage alive and going. You know, trying to be mm-hmm. a good mom to the kids, but also this modeling and setting a new example of what life looks like moving forward. Because for this next generation, it is going to be very different than previous generations. Right. Yeah, and helping everyone around you understand, that's probably the hardest part for me is when you uh, are in an environment where people aren't familiar with women entrepreneurs, um, you constantly face this, you know, interesting dynamic where they just don't get you. Like, I think when you have conversations with someone who maybe works part time, which is fantastic, versus the, you know, I can't go to that school thing because I actually have to be gone for a work trip. They're like, well, you're your own ba- you're your own boss, Allie. Like, why do you have to be gone? Like, if I have to explain this to you right now, this is we're not going to have this conversation. You know. Well, so. it's great that those options are available. You know, for anybody. I mean, we see more and more parents that aren't even living together, but making things work. Mm-hmm. Single parents making things work. I think more dads are staying at home with their kids and or starting to work for their wives' businesses. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of different dynamics around that. And I think technology enables much of that. I think we'll see more of that in the future. Well, Allie, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are some words of wisdom you'd love to leave our audience with? I think one of the things that I end up talking with most entrepreneurs about is the idea of uh, marketing always feels like because there's so many things you can do, um, there's always more opportunities and platforms than you can execute on. It's always going to take twice as long as you think it will. So um, because you can launch, let's say, a Squarespace site overnight, um, growing the traffic to that website doesn't happen overnight. Um, Growing the leads in your business, growing the effect on social media. You can buy fans, but those aren't authentic. So why would you do that? So I think we talk a lot about like the idea of building this marketing foundation and having a why behind everything. And once that happens, when all those pieces are in place, 
it is so fun because it feels like when you start pushing that boulder forward and the inertia gets going, it feels like you are moving so quick. Like that's what it feels like for our company now. But holy cow, we spent like a year putting so much in place that now it feels like the inertia has finally caught up with us. Um, and it just, it, it equates to that, like there's no such thing as an overnight success. And um, it sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do. But that's an excellent point because I think we hear about the successful person after they've put 10 years into being successful, you know, so you see how big they are now, but it took that work and that effort and that focus to really get it done. If you're a new business and you want to get started, even if you're a startup, you probably should go claim all of your handles on social media so no one else goes out and gets them. But then just pick one to be active on or or one to run ads on while you figure out what your message is and you figure out if the audience is there. Um, And then you can start to kind of expand outward. But I think it's this kind of like all in one buffet. And then everyone kind of gets mediocre in their content on all those platforms and then or in their approach and they just can't do one thing, you know, really well. So Pairing it down and focusing, again, that sounds so simple um, that I almost like feel bad saying it, but it happens so much that I think it needs to be driven home. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be everything to everybody and everywhere, especially on social yeah. media. Well, everyone will say the worst answer to a who who are your customers? I asked this an email this morning uh, and he replies back and it's super genuine. It's from the heart. But he says, actually, we can sell to everybody. And he lists like all these examples. And I was like, OK, I didn't ask who you could. Who do you want to and who is the most profitable? So those types of like business questions when it comes to marketing, you might have a service that you're really passionate about. When I look at the numbers, I might might see that your profit margin in that particular service area is like 2%. Well, we just like that a lot more. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to feel good at the end of the day or do you want to drive value and and revenue? If that's the case, we're going to have to focus on this kind of boring business over here because that has a much bigger potential for you to grow. A lot of people want to, they want to breeze over that part and they just want to get started doing the stuff because it doesn't feel like we're doing anything, you know, but that critical thinking, there's been a lot of research that has come out in the past, at least probably five, 10 years that critical thinking and strategic thinking is that skill that everybody needs for the next generation of business. Because we have so many things that are automated now, how do we critically think so that we make the right decisions with the tools and the automation? And if we sidestep that, then we end up kind of just having this vanilla approach to everything else. Um, and you know, if there's another company out there that does what you do and you don't have a clear why, why are they in business? Why are you in business? Thanks for listening. Subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode with renowned international futurist Thomas Fry whose work spans the future of agriculture, education, the drone industry, and more. Driverless technology is going to have such a profound effect on the divisions between rural and urban areas, because I think it extends out the urban areas in such far distances in every direction, a couple hundred miles farther than it ever was in the past. That changes our perspective in so many, so many ways.